Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Thrives Podcast. I am your host, Wendy Jenkins, and I'm the Leadership and Institutional Development Manager at the University System of Georgia. And I am super excited to kick off this podcast with our first official episode today. And we are uh, we're going to talk to the University System of Georgia Chancellor, Dr. Steve Wrigley, and I'm so excited to have um, him with us as he is counting down the days to his retirement. So hello, Chancellor Wrigley. Thank you for being here today. Wendy, thank you for having me. I'm excited about doing it, and I very much appreciate your efforts in the leadership arena. It's, it's very important to the strength and future of our organization. Well, thank you, and thank you for your support. That's one thing I always tell everybody is, we truly have leadership, not just support, but just kind of a uh, complete engagement in what we do. So just appreciate you spending some time with me today to talk about leadership and and to get your um, some parting words, maybe from you at the end, some parting advice, some wisdom, because you are to let everybody just remind everybody you are retiring at the end of this month and actually we're talking about just days away with 36 years of service in our state and um you know you everyone who's listening can go out and and read your bio and hear all the the high profile and really important positions that you've had both in state government and in higher education but what i'd like to start with is just kind of to help the listeners get to know you a bit better, to share maybe some of what you would consider the highlights of the past 36 years, and then some lessons learned from those highlights. Sure, thank you. Um, and I, I, you're right, people can read, read my bio, uh, but I was, I've always been interested in, the, in, in public policy, in the public policy arena, but also uh, love the, the academic area. And uh, I'm fortunate in that most of my career kind of been able to to meld those two in various roles. And as I was finishing my PhD thesis many years ago, went to work in the Georgia State Senate and met a guy named Zell Miller, who was the lieutenant governor. And as everybody knows, he and I worked together for a number of years and, and he was governor. And I, I learned a lot from him and I learned a lot about the state. And it was really a great learning experience for me and and I, and and I considered myself a, a pupil during that time not mm. not uh, a, a teacher but uh, I've, you know, I have learned a lot uh, I've, I've been around great leaders I've watched them I've learned from them uh, and you you know I think you absorb lessons you don't often realize uh, when you when you're around great folks like that and, and being able to participate in in some big decisions one of the things that uh, has always stood out to me, and this has been more than 30 years ago, somebody I was working with uh, uh, gave me a piece of advice I've never forgotten, uh, and it was, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. And I think, actually, it's good advice for all of us. <laughs> I've, I've carried that with me as uh, as I've had various roles uh, in the state and, and in the system, and I, I think it's really good advice. And I help. I think it helps keep you grounded, both when things are going great and maybe when you've got a few challenges that face you. You know, that's that's such an interesting point that you bring that up. I was just talking to a group of system office managers yesterday, and we were talking about the importance of that that quote that you said. They didn't say it 
exactly the way you said it, but just that grounding to not take yourself too seriously, that the work we do is truly important, but that, you know, we can also have fun while we're doing it. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's important, I think, at every level to keep that in mind. It is important to have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these are jobs are challenging and working mm-hmm. in public service at every level is challenging. There's a lot of scrutiny, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also really important work and we need great people involved in it. And there's nothing at all wrong with uh, enjoying a little humor uh, <laughs> at, at some point along the way to, to help keep you grounded. Absolutely. So I want to go back. So you talked about your, you, you met Zell Miller and you really had a front row seat in developing the Hope Scholarship Program. And when you look back on it now, you know, that scholarship really changed the trajectory of higher education in Georgia. It, it impacted, you know, so many family trees, so many, so many people in our state. Tell me a little bit more about that time. And I'd, I'd love to hear kind of specifically about what your vision, your mindset, um, as you reflect back on that work. You know, it was, uh, it really was a, uh, mindset is a good word. You use that mm-hmm. word. It, it was a very different time. And Governor Miller, uh, he was he was elected. I, he was in his late 50s, 58 or 59, and but grew up, was born in this state during the Great Depression, grew up at a time when the uh, state really was, was, was behind the rest of the nation, as many Southern states were uh, economically, educationally, with respect to race relations and he sort of came through all of that and uh, felt like the state, uh, as, as many Southern governors in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, 90s be- began to figure out, uh, a lot of things had to change if, uh, if, if our region, in our case, if our state, uh, were going to be the p- kind of place that we wanted it to be, where people wanted to live and work and raise a family. Uh, uh, and for him, part of that was doing something about uh, improving access to education. He grew up in North Georgia. It was a poor, isolated place, but there was a local college, Young Harris, uh, and it had a big impact on his life. And, and he often said that, that it that it changed his life. And um, so, one of his uh, those sort of twin desires on his part to do something to elevate uh, the economic competitiveness of the state and access to education, and the two are so closely linked ultimately led him to his own thinking about we need a state lottery to fund new education programs, but we also need a way to increase access to higher education. At the time, I think uh, the, the percentage of people in the state was a ba- with a bachelor's degree was less than 20%. Some parts of the state were you know, way less than that. Mm-hmm. So for him, it was all about improving access, but ultimately, and he used to say it all the time, he really wanted to uh, uh, change the culture of expectations in Georgia. He really wanted to help establish a culture of higher expectations. Uh, And that's really kind of, that was his mindset. The mindset was this could be a tool for uh, increasing the expectations people have for themselves and for their state. We don't, you know, we don't think about it like that anymore. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. 30 something years ago. And there's been a lot of improvement in the state. And a lot of people have forgotten that. And I I remind people when I said it to the board in my last remarks, um, you know, Georgia has been very successful, but it's because of the product of intentional decisions on the part 
of a lot of leaders and will be successful or not successful going forward based on the intentional acts and decisions of people in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. But his mindset, really what drove him was we need to do something to, to raise the culture of expectations in our state. We've got to do something to improve uh, higher education. Uh, and and he, he fastened on this scholarship program, and we spent a lot of time working on it through the years. But that was really what motivated him, and, what, and that was his mindset. You know, that idea of being intentional, we, we talk a lot in my area of study of servant leadership about foresight and as a leader being able to think about the, the long-term impact of your decision-making today. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's also another way to look at it is that mindset was, it was foresight based was, I, I love how you phrase that culture of expectation, wanting to have the foresight to make that change. That I think that's one um, one thing a leader must do, which is which is look forward and mm -hmm. uh, think about uh, the what try to analyze and determine with others what needs to be done, but then be deliberate and intentional about trying to take the steps to to bring you know a certain set of results out. You never know for sure how it's going to turn out, but we we do know doing nothing. You know how that turns out. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. usually not well. So foresight right. is a great word. And, and that, that's um, I don't think leaders have to do a lot of things. But I do think one of the things is the, one of the fundamental things is to, you know, to stand on the desk or the chair and look over the horizon and say, mm -hmm. this is what uh, this is where we need to go. This is where I think we need to go mm -hmm. and, and try to rally people around that. It's, it's it, it, it is one of the things that a, that, a, that a leader should do. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, you've had the opportunity to work with a variety of campus presidents, of cabinet members, of EVCs. What would you say, what is that list of leadership characteristics that you're looking for? What you, you mentioned foresight, but what what are the other characteristics? It's a great question, and I, I actually think it's a short list okay. of characteristics. You know, people, we're all different. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, and uh, Wendy, this may come as a shock to you, but none of us are perfect. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, when you're, when you're hiring <laughs> folks to be in leadership roles or president, you, you have to understand that. Uh, mm -hmm. So you look for a combination of traits. Uh, but to, to me, there's a couple of things. I, and I, I, I'm, I'm a simple-minded person. So I, I think the single most important thing in a president or any leader is courage. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean the kind of courage about, you know, running into a burning building to save mm -hmm. somebody, because most of the time, most of our decisions on almost an hourly basis require a different kind of courage. Some of it just comes down to in a leadership role, a manager's role, if you know, if, if you're managing an employee and they're just not performing, mm -hmm. um, you you've got to, you know, you've got to have the courage to sit down with that person uh, and and effectively find a way to, to to work with them to improve, understand where they're not performing. Uh, and a lot of people don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. We see it a lot in the academic arena, and mm -hmm. it's I think very. It's destructive toward organizations, mm -hmm. but I think across the board, leaders just simply have to have courage. I think most people have leadership traits, <clears throat> um, 
in them, and I think most of them instinctively know what to do. A lot of us sometimes just aren't willing to, to act on uh, what we know we need to do because we worry it may offend somebody, somebody may get mad, they may not wind up liking us, we want everybody mm -hmm. to be happy with us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, courage is what you've got to have to to uh, overcome that. And, and again, it links to what we've just been talking about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you're looking ahead, when you're having foresight um, and you're trying to outline a direction and it requires change, a lot of people, they don't really like the sound of that. And so mm -hmm. again, it takes mm -hmm. courage. I, I think it's the single most important trait uh, in, in any leader. And I also feel like the, the single trait that a leader needs to avoid is, is hubris. Uh, I think mm. it's the, the sort of thing that just absolutely will trap somebody uh, and uh, to, to, to get caught up in sort of one's own role and one's own perspective and that that's what matters most. Uh, I think that's really something that um, can be uh, destructive as well to an individual and to, uh, to an organization. But it really... Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, that that's the, the one trait I think every leader yeah. has to have is courage. And the yeah. one trait they need to avoid is hubris. A lot of folks are going to have a mix of other traits and not, they're not going to have everything. But those are the ones that I think are really essential. And, and um, you know, the other thing for when we go through interviews and hire presidents, I, I actually don't like to ask questions. I just like to sit and listen to the others ask questions and listen to the answers because I the thing I really look for more than anything else is, is this person comfortable with themselves? Are they mm. comfortable with uh, why they're here and why they want to be here and why they want this job? Um, because by the time they get to a level of interviewing with the board, they are technically capable. They've got the experience. Their resumes are impressive. And for me, it comes down to who... Um, Mm -hmm. uh, who's really displaying a comfort with themselves and is and is a good fit for their particular institution at that point in time. Yeah, which goes right back to that that idea of courage. I mean, the courage to be their full, unique yes. selves in that situation. So, I I'm kind of I'm kind of reeling right now, Chancellor, because you're I'm kind of like that mind blowing emoji. You know, like I don't <laughs> yeah. know that I've really ever thought about it, but you are spot on in terms of you can have all sorts of other characteristics. We could spend, you know, hours going through various lists of characteristics. But if you don't have the courage to do something with them, that's where it starts. That that, that is exactly right. And I think it's the trait that that separates Mm -hmm. um, successful leaders, even great leaders, uh, from, from people who struggle in a leadership role. And uh, I think it's the, 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 an unwillingness to make a, a hard choice um, right. is, 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 is more damaging to an in organization and to individuals than the willingness to make a, a hard choice and then do everything you can do to explain why you made it. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of brought us full circle with the hubris because you go back to that quote, take the work you do That's seriously, right. don't take yourself seriously. So, yeah, it just, um, I, I, I love the simplicity of that. But yet, again, we could spend a lot of time just unpacking that. And um, But I, I think a simple message to leaders is sometimes what they're really wanting. 
are, yeah, are I, emerging leaders, emerging leaders. Yeah, I, I really, I agree. And I, you know, I enjoy complexity. We all do. But uh, when you're part of any organization, particularly a large one, uh, people have a lot coming at them. Presidents, everybody does. Um, and, and I think uh, focusing on a, on a simple message and repeating it over and over Mm -hmm. uh, is, is the best way to, to get it across mm -hmm. because we all have so much information that we either seek or that is thrown at us and we can't process all of it. And so we've, one of the things we've tried to do is to try to simplify what we think we're about and then communicate it. And uh, I think that's one of the things that every, every leader needs to do. And in particularly in, in higher education, because it mm -hmm. is a very complicated uh uh, system and organization with a lot of different people involved and it, it, it would be easy to get bogged down and and uh, lose sight of what ultimately that, uh, that it is we're about. Absolutely. Yeah, going back to that why, the purpose that we're here. Yeah. So one of my favorite things, so, so let me, I'll tell you this, I'll give you a little bit of insight. I'll set the stage for you and then we can take it to the question. But so I was came up to the system office from a campus experience on April 15th of 2019, which just ho happened to be the first day of a, an away board meeting in Savannah. <laughs> and so, you know, that was my first experience with, you know, being on kind of the, the system side of a board meeting. But one of my favorite things that you do at board meetings that will stand out to me is your today in history. I just... That's my, I, I get excited about that part when you stand up and talk to us about what's going on in history. So I'm really curious about how your background in history, it, obviously there's a passion there that you have. Like you said, you love thinking about that complex, complex ideas. And I can see, you know, history is certainly full of them. How has that informed your role in the system? <clears throat> I'm a big, uh, obviously my degrees are in history and, mm -hmm. and I'm just a big believer uh, in, in, in perspective in a leadership role. Uh, in, in, in some ways, a lot of what we face isn't 100% new. Maybe the way, mm. maybe the, uh, uh, the technology around it or, or, or whatever is, is, is new, but a lot of the challenges uh, are, are, are not maybe especially new and I've always found that reading history and reading about folks in history and not necessarily, you know, great leaders, but uh, all the time or, or mm -hmm. well-known leaders or the mm -hmm. famous leaders, but folks working through average problems gives, gives us really valuable perspective um, on how we got here and maybe how we go forward. Also, I think it helps us to understand, uh, you know, the, and the, the the richness of the experience of those before us and how it contributed to, again, where we are today and uh, what's good about that and what's bad about that. It's just, I think it's really very hard to craft uh, a direction, understand a direction, lead toward some direction without having an understanding of how we got where we are, why we are where we are, what decisions were made that got us here, how did that work out, both good mm -hmm. and bad. And so I, I enjoy, I, I've always enjoyed reading history for that, uh, for that reason. And the, the, you know, the remarkable degree to which uh, the simple things we all grow up hearing, you know, from parents and others and our families and friends about, you know, work hard and focus and those kinds of things 
have, have played a role in, in, in history. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just luck. And then, but a lot of times it's, uh, uh, it's, it's an individual or a group of individuals making difficult decisions. But I, I think it's really important to have a perspective on the past and how we got where we are mm-hmm. uh, and an understanding of that before you can really uh, lead a, 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 any kind of a direction going forward. Yeah, I think, too, that sometimes we tend to think, you know, we, this is the worst it's ever been, you know, like this is, you <laughs> right. know, like it's it's never been this tough. And but history gives you that perspective of, well, actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. um, things have been bad before. <laughs> That's right, and and, uh, and 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 things tend to ebb and flow. But mm-hmm. you know, the other perspective it gives you: wow, many things are a heck of a lot better. Yes, uh, and yes. Uh, and it's it's sometimes we forget that, and mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember that uh, that that things have, have have gotten better, and that things can get better, and things will get better yep. uh, if if you know if good people work on them and work in the right direction toward. Uh, toward achieving them so yeah uh, it's just and I, you know it's something that when I became chancellor I just thought would be kind of fun you know to do and kind of oh. fun for the board to do, do a, 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 a on this day in history thing and uh, and uh, we've tried to uh, link it to uh, something either going on that we're doing or related to uh, maybe something around the board meeting that day but I, I tip my hat to Christina Torres because she's the one that uh, Helps me with helps me with my remarks, and she's the one that that I that I torment and send her back sometimes <laughs> and say, uh, well, "Why don't we find another one?" So she's been terrific and deserves deserve credit for making that work. Oh, awesome! Well, but it's still such so connected to you. You've got some help, you know, some great help from Christina, obviously. But it just I could see kind of your love of history as you did those at the board meetings, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it should be so, fun. Yeah. So, all right, so I want to take that that perspective of, all right, you know, we've got this history, but we've also talked about foresight and standing up and looking into the future. So what do you see as the biggest challenge for leaders, particularly in the USG, let's say within the next five years? What What do you think we need to be ready for? Sure, and we talk and think a lot about that, uh, and I think it's a collection of things, and you've probably heard me talk about them. One is what everybody's talking about, the so-called demographic cliff and the variety of implications of uh, that's coming with respect to the decline in the number of college-age going students because of declining birth rates uh, mm-hmm. for many years. Um, I don't, you know, I don't... Uh, it is a challenge, but I think also it's, it's an opportunity and opens up opportunities on, on a number of fronts. But uh, it's again, it's something we've got to be prepared for, planned for, uh, be intentional about. Uh, so that that's a big deal because in the end, we're you know we're a, we're a people organization. Uh, mm-hmm. If there are going to be uh, fewer people seeking what we do, <clears throat> we do understand that need to be prepared for it. I think mm-hmm. the continuing. Uh, questions that have been out for a while now about uh, is a college degree worth it and mm. uh, linked closely to what you know concern about what we're doing in the classroom and concern about is is it worth the expense and you see these polls nationally where people say it's really important to get a degree uh, but I'm worried about the direction of higher ed so that 
that sort of cluster of views in the public about, is it worth a degree? I believe it's worth it. Can I afford it? Uh, and if I do spend the money and get a degree, am I going to learn what I need to learn? You know, that, that, that collection of concerns that I think amounts to some anxiety is something that we yeah. need to continue to, 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 to try to address and, and mm-hmm. deal with. Uh, and we've tried some of that. And I don't think things are as bad as, as, as they are perceived, but I do think there's some issues that need to be addressed. And mm-hmm. I think the final thing is the continuing probably now 20 year uh, trend of declining uh, state support, state funding support. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, quickly add in, uh, in, in the state of Georgia, we still enjoy very strong support from our um, state leadership, the governor and the legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but relatively speaking, as in every state, uh, over 20 years, as there have been several economic downturns, uh, budgets are reduced and the funding's not restored. And so over time, with inflation, you do get a reduction in the amount of money we get per student. And that uh, uh, that makes it difficult to maintain excellence, especially when at the same time, there's a lot of resistance to, and rightly so, to raising tuition or fees or those mm-hmm. kind of things. So that, mm-hmm. That, uh, that that kind of squeezing on the main revenue sources, uh, a, a reluctance uh, for increases in state support and a reluctance for uh, putting the burden on families, uh, that that is a challenge for, for public hiring and well, mm-hmm. private institutions too. And so I think those are the, you know, two or three things, the, the demographic situation and the mm-hmm. collection of issues around, I like to think of it as, you know, what are they doing over there? <laughs> And uh, and then just the continuing financial strains. But we're I, I, we're in good shape. I think mm-hmm. the system's in good shape. I think we're in a strong position. But it's it's hard work every day, and it's going to continue to be uh, every day going forward. Yeah, going to need that courage that we that you exactly. talked about earlier to to be creative. To exactly. really, I think that's what's going to be the demand is that we have creative leaders, and that doesn't mean. I think everyone gets very caught up in the word creative sometimes, but that doesn't mean the ability to, you know, um, uh, draw or, or, you know, it just truly means a creative, a a solution that has not been thought of before. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. I think it's not being wedded to the way we've always done things, Mm -hmm. uh, being Mm -hmm. uh, open to new ideas, listening to your critics, uh, and uh, just, you know, if you see wow, that state tried it this way or that institution tried it that way, go, wow, that's that's pretty neat. Let's let's look into that. Yeah, uh, I, I think that you've got to be open to that as well, because otherwise uh, you, you can you can get stagnant in a hurry. And this is not a time to be stagnant. Absolutely. And I think you t- you just touched on something that really made got piqued my interest listening to your critics. How have you handled that? I have to imagine you've You've um, gotten some feedback in 36 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I hope I've gotten better at it, and I've, I've, I've tried consciously to get better at it. Uh, and uh, and particularly as, as I've assumed leadership roles, uh, you know, pretty quickly you learn, you, uh, first of all, most of the, you know, if, if you're going to be in a leadership role, um, you, you know, you, it, it, you're going to get criticized. Mm -hmm. And if you can't take that, you, you don't need to take the role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times the criticism is helpful. It, it, and, uh, it, it, you should, you should listen to folks who are being critical. And 
-hmm. sometimes it's agenda driven, you know, mm -hmm. but, you, know you just gotta, you can't take it personally. Mm -hmm. And I have counsel presidents, because uh, everybody processes it differently, but I, I, mm. I tell them all the time, don't internalize this stuff. Mm. You just can't. It's not, it's not the best way to go forward mm -hmm. uh, is to internalize criticism and take it personally because you just, you, it, it'll paralyze you. And I'll, I'll tell, if I've got a minute, I'll, I'll tell a mm -hmm. Zell Miller story. Please uh, do. Many years ago, uh, he was still Lieutenant Governor and I was working for him and he had an appointment to some group. I don't know. I don't even remember the issue or what the appointment was. And so we were talking about uh, a, a person he wanted to appoint. And it was actually somebody who had uh, been a critic of his and had been quoted in the paper being critical. And, you know, I was uh, 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 I, I was 30 years old and knew absolutely everything. At the <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I was kind of like, why would you do that? Why would you? appoint somebody who's been publicly critical of you. And he looked at me, you know, and he uh -huh. just matter of factly, he looked at me, he said, well, I think they can help us. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I thought, well, for a 30 year old, that was a great lesson in life. Uh, and, and he was like that, you know, I mean, everybody's sensitive to criticism, but uh, you, you've got to be open to people who have a different perspective and people who are, uh, it, you, you've, you know, you've tried something and it's out there and people are saying, wow, that was a dumb thing to do. And, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, that was something I, I, again, I sort of took away him as a, as a very valuable lesson. And I just, I, I, I've got, I guess I'm lucky or something because <laughs> uh, whatever happens to one in, in various leadership roles, it, uh, I actually a lot of times find criticism of me I find it more amusing than anything mm -hmm. uh, I I get annoyed when there's criticism a, about uh, like you know a policy or a program and it's and it's just wrong you know mm -hmm. it's like, where, where there's misstatement of fact and may or may not be deliberate that annoys me but attacks on me I just find kind of more amusing than anything else which which I, I guess is a product of getting old and tired I'm not sure <laughs> Just experience and wisdom. How about that? <laughs> that's, that's, thank you. Thank you for that charitable description. <laughs> I love that. I, that Zell Miller story is going to, to sit with me for a while. I may have to actually tell that too with your, if you're, if you're okay with that. Oh to, yeah. No, it's because, great. Yeah. I mean, uh, so often we want to keep our critics at arm's length, but when you think about actually welcoming them to the project or to the team, they they actually can bring like you you said that difference of mindset that yeah. might actually be super helpful. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was that was more than thirty years ago. Wow, and what a lesson to learn at thirty. You know, exactly. I mean that's yeah. <laughs> so tell me tell me this. I know this is a a big question, but what do you hope as you as you leave in the next couple of days <laughs> as you wrap up this this career? What do you hope will be your legacy? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not cut out to, to sort of think about that and mm -hmm. uh, 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 sort of my legacy. I uh -huh. just never, I've had people say that to me through the years and I, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just not cut out that way. I mean, I do hope, uh, you know, that people will, will believe and see that, you know, look, he, he tried hard. He didn't have any kind of personal agenda at work. He, 
is committed to the state and committed to, in this case, the system and and trying to, you know, the proverbial, you know, make it better than when he when he found it. And uh, those are the kind of things I've cared about. And I don't I've just never been about me and how I'm perceived. And and uh, it really has to me been about the things we need to do to, uh, mm-hmm. in the university system in the last few years to uh, as I said, a lot of the things that that I that I picked up 30 years ago that um, higher education is really essential to an individual's uh, future and also the, our our state and our community's futures, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what we're all about. It's what makes what we do so important. It's what help you know get me up every morning and go to work with enthusiasm because mm-hmm. what we do is very important. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of programs and there are you know, accomplishments and failures and you sort of think about all those. But I just don't <laughs> I don't sort of think about those as packaging that up and that, that that's a leg- legacy. Maybe I should, but uh, it's, it's not really what's driven me. It's driven me more around um, trying to be honest in an approach uh, to trying to move, a, you know, an agenda or items forward that ultimately will let people have a better life and let our state be you know, more competitive and a, and a great place to live. I I think that's perfect. I mean, I, I probably could have guessed that that was going to be your answer just because having, you know, worked at the system office now and, and, and senior leadership, I mean, you, you walk out that simple message that you gave us a little bit earlier of like, here's what you need. You need to have courage, but here's what you need to avoid hubris. And I think you model the way on that so well. And, um, I love that you said like, you know, you tried hard and you, you led with purpose, which is what got you up out of the bed every day, you know, and, and was excited about what you did. I think we, we so often forget that. Yeah. It's easy to, when you're dealing with a lot of different things professionally Mm -hmm. and everybody's got a complex life at home and all of the things thrown at you that it's easy to uh instead of simplifying maybe to complicate but uh mm-hmm. I, for, for me it's always been about i've just never really sort of thought about doing a b and c so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people will say nice things about me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and that whole this whole message from start to finish has be, really been about let's simplify this let's uh let's you know here here's a simple list for characteristics here's Here's a simple way to to build a legacy that's not necessarily, you know, that intentional legacy building, so to speak. And, and as we're wrapping up, I have one last question for you. Okay, so and and I hope this can be this can be anything. So the world is your oyster here, but because this show <laughs> is called Thrives, I want you to share something with us. What is something that's helping you thrive right now? And and let me give you some let me give you some thoughts. So this can be something super fun, like a Netflix show or movie or podcast, or it could be something more deeper. You know, if you're reading a nonfiction book or or you know an encounter or experience you're having. But what is helping you thrive right now? No, it's a great question, and it's it, it's interesting uh, as it probably should. It has changed for me over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I, I've always loved to read. I like to get outside and do things. And uh, uh, but in the, with the with the pandemic year and we were all working and it was a crazy time and we were working all the time. And um, 
I've never really been much of like a movie guy and all this streaming stuff. I was mm -hmm. never, I'm, I'm, I'm late to the table on that one. <laughs> um, but last year, I mean, it, it, uh, the days were so hectic and they started early and went late. Um, uh, my wife and I in the evening, we would just, we started just sitting down and we'd just, just pick something and, and watch. And we got into, uh, there's these sort of, Various British shows that we got, a couple of detective shows. There's one called Foil's War that's set in the pre-World War II, goes into World War II. There's one called Vera. And they're these really intricate, detailed, hour-and-a-half sort of shows and stories. And you can just get immersed in them, you know. Yeah. And they're, they're complicated and they're fun to watch. And then we stumbled across one recently called, what is it called? The Durrells of Corfu or something. It's based, oh. on, based on three books that were written this was british family in the 30s the father mm -hmm. husband died and there's a family of four kids and so the wife took her kids and they moved to corfu just to get a change of scenery so uh -huh. it's, it's about their experiences in corfu in the 30s and written by one of the sons uh, the uh -huh. youngest of sons so okay. i'd never gotten into any of that stuff mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. uh, and so we, I don't know, 15 months or so ago, uh, we just sort of like, not every night, but almost like, okay, what are we going to watch? It's uh -huh. one of the collection. And I confess <laughs> to just being a devotee of, of Shit's Creek, too, if you know that one. Really? Oh, I just love that show. It's just absolutely his. You, you've obviously seen it. Oh, I love this. Uh, I had no idea. Oh, yeah, I mean, because it's just, it's just 22 minutes of laugh out loud <laughs> funny, you know? Uh so that's helping me thrive. I mean, okay. and, and if you'd asked me three yeah. years ago, I'd have probably given you a list of books I've been reading, and I still right. do read. I love yeah. to read, but yeah. this has been this has been more, I would say, sort of uh, a little bit escapist, but also okay. uh, a lot. Also, so I, I would just say, it, you know, what what helps you thrive can and should change in the course of yeah. your life, and just be open that. to something new that comes along and I've, I've figured out how to operate those streaming apps and uh, you know and, and, and proud of myself for that hey absolutely i need you to come teach my husband so that we can uh <laughs> wait i don't have to press all the buttons for him but now listen a little birdie told me maybe you also watched the crown is that right yes yes oh, I, I, we enjoyed okay. that that was terrific yeah. and uh yes. and I, I i my my, my friend our friend I went to Jeff Stepakoff a few years ago, yes. and I said, tell me something good to watch. And that was uh -huh. one. And, uh, and then I stumbled across a series on John Adams, which was terrific. And okay. I said something to him. He said, oh, that's a good one, too. So I've, okay. I've warned Jeff that occasionally he may hear from me looking for a recommendation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, for, for all the Hamilton fans out there, I have to ask this question, too. Have you watched? Did you watch Hamilton? I've not okay. uh, yet. Okay. Uh, all right. And, but, but I will. I've, I've okay. actually read about him before he's a yeah. very interesting character but i hadn't gotten around i've got a long list of to-do items for that that'll start july the first so i love it that, that is one of them so <laughs> okay all right well i'm going to check back with you on hamilton because i was Ooh. i was not interested and i just sat down finally one day and said okay fine and it was everything that the hype said it was going to be. So yeah, i'm looking forward to it good. all right well i i am looking forward to hearing how you start tackling that list because I bet that list is is um, just got a lot of fun things on it that'll help you thrive. <laughs> so, so Chancellor, thank you so much. Thank you for your service to our state. Thank you for um, thank you for believing in in me and, and in our department and to do this this work that we're doing in the system. 
um, with the institutions, but also at the system office. I, I want to take this time just to share my appreciation. I absolutely love what I do every day, and it's because of your leadership that I'm getting to do it. So um, thank you for this time. And um, everybody listening, thank you so much. By the time the podcast comes out, the chancellor will have retired, but I'm sure that we will um, stay connected in some way and you can send him your gratitude. So watch for another episode of the Thrives Podcast in your podcast catcher very soon. And everybody stay thriving.